Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. We're so thrilled to have you today. You know, I know there's a lot of you who are online watching or listening to this right now, but, but, and a bunch of you use the chat, and I think that's great, but some of you have never used that, never, you know, typed in or written in, so we'd love for you to take a moment, join the rest of those who are on the chat, and maybe just type a good morning or a hello or a praise God or something, so we'd love to have more and more of you join a little bit in the interactive chat portion of the service today, if you would, please. All right, I want you to take a guess. Is America today more religious or less religious than it has been in the past? So in the chat right now, type more or less. Today, is America more religious or less religious than it's been in the past? Are you doing that right now? We want to see 5, 10, 15, 20 of you type it in. More or less, more or less. All right, you ready for the results? The results are in. Statistically speaking, America is more religious today than ever before. That's interesting, isn't it? Only 3.5% of Americans are atheists, which is the lowest percentage in our history. So that's a little bit of an in-your-face Richard Dawkins, for those of you who who know who that is. Now, the question for most Americans is not, is there a God, but who is the right God? And how can we know? We're going to talk about that the next few weeks together as we begin a new series looking at one of the greatest men of God ever recorded in Scripture. His name is Elijah. Now, there are so many nuanced parallels in his life and the time he lived to our lives and the time that we live in. So this series is extremely important and relevant to our lives today. Now, I want to kick off, I want to give you the context of this time we're in, the time period, so you can understand, and it'll make, help the series make a lot more sense. The Jewish people had a civil war that had split them into two kingdoms. They had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and they had the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Now, the northern kingdom experienced 19 consecutive evil kings that spanned a period of about 200 years. Now, I want you to imagine that. I want you to think about that. These are not just 19 ineffective kings. These are 19 uh, continuous, uh, uh, you know, not just ineffective, but ungodly, evil kings, awful individuals. Now, in the middle of that time period, in the late 1800s B.C., Israel had its worst king to date. His name was Ahab. Now, Ahab married Jezebel, who was from a foreign pagan region of Sidon. She brought to Israel with her her gods, Asherah and Baal. Now, Baal, we've heard that sometimes we just say Baal or Baal. Baal was not one god. Baal was more like a title. There were hundreds of Baals. There is the Baal of fertility. There is the Baal of medicine or the Baal of the harvest or the Baal of, of business you know, success. And particularly relevant to Elijah's story, there was the Baal that controlled nature. So you had all of these evil northern kings who had turned the people of God away from God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to follow these false foreign gods. 
And now the worship practices in these false foreign religions were detestable in God's sight. Worship included people sacrificing their own children in worship. Despicable. Uh, They would go to their temples and they would engage in sexual activities with temple prostitutes and call it worship. There were other uh, practices that are just way too inappropriate to talk about or to describe. And Scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, it says that Ahab, this is the king, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So this is a very dark time in the northern kingdom, in, Israel, in the northern kingdom of Israel. It's a dark time. People's hearts were far from God. And it's into this context that God sends Elijah. Now, the whole point of Elijah's life is, which God is the real God? Who is the real God? In fact, Elijah's name literally means the Lord is God or Yahweh is God. A simple translation is this, my God is Yahweh. So just saying his name was an affront to these foreign religions and these foreign gods by saying, my name's Elijah, meaning my God is Yahweh, which really became the purpose of Elijah's life to show that Jehovah God or, or, or Yahweh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the one and only true God. The times that you and I live in are very much like the times of Elijah. And I find myself asking, God, how does the church effectively show that you are the real and only true God? How does the church make a difference and make an impact on a society that is worshiping so many false gods. Now here's what's encouraging to me. When God wanted to move, when God wanted to act, when God wanted to do something, he didn't raise up an army to stand against the evil king Ahab. What did God do? Well, God did and does what he often did and does. He raised up a person, a person to take a stand. And I believe that that's what God wants to do today. He wants to raise you up as an Elijah in your circle of friends, your circle of influence, in your family. One business leader to stand for integrity within an organization that is perhaps corrupt. One teenager to stand for purity or the truth of God's word. One person to enter into politics to take a stand for truth, and for what is true. God raises up individuals to make a big difference in the culture that we are in. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at how God prepared Elijah so that he would eventually be ready and able to take a stand against the evil king Ahab on the famous, uh, on the famous Mount Carmel, the famous story that many of you might know. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. But today we're talking about what God did to prepare him for that. So what I'd like you to do is is turn on your phone, go on your phones to the YouVersion Bible app or track along right there in our notes there. Or you can take a physical Bible. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And it says this. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, 
as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, which right there, that's already in the front. Because he's talking about Yahweh, Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God I, whom I serve, as he says, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now, one of the Baals was the Baals was the Baal of rain. So Elijah is saying, your false foreign God, he doesn't control nature. He doesn't control the rain. My God does. Now, if this was a movie, when he said no more, main, no more rain, at this moment, the music, you know, would have kind of threw down that big bass drop that you hear when you go to the movie theater and you're kind of, oh, and just kind of drops out. I mean, this was the most strategic, prophetic judgment against the land that you could possibly imagine. God's not messing around. He is tired or had it with his people who are so far, who have wandered so far from him. So Elijah said, until I say so, there will be no rain or no dew, moisture for a few years. Elijah was essentially declaring a national economic, nationwide economic shutdown. Why? Because in this agriculturally driven economy, no rain means no business, which means, you know, a complete collapse. I mean, because of COVID-19, we have here in our country and really around the world, we have an economic slowdown, but it isn't a shutdown. It, see, to kind of maybe compare it, maybe even a little, it would be like adding to our current situation that we here in America and across the world are in. It'd be adding into that, like going to the bank and you couldn't get any of your money out. Or, and then adding on top of that, going to the gas station and you couldn't get any gas. Adding on top of that, that there'd be no electricity in your homes. There'd be the scarcity of food and there would be no toilet paper. Remember that? Remember the toilet paper famine back in March and, you know, March and April? I mean, all of that. So Elijah, this mighty man of God, boldly declares to the evil king Ahab, no more rain. Now I'm guessing Ahab shrugged Elijah's declaration off as the ramblings of, a, you know, of a crazy man. But a few drought-stricken years later, they would meet again on Mount Carmel, where God would work through Elijah to call his people back to himself. But until that time, God wanted to do something. God wanted to work in Elijah to prepare him for something that he would do in the future. He wanted to prepare, do something in him, in Elijah, to prepare him for that future encounter with Ahab. Here's what we're going to discover about Elijah and about ourselves. There was so much that God wanted to do in Elijah. But before he would work uh, uh, in or before he would work through Elijah, he had to work in Elijah. I don't know if I said that right. Let me try that again. With God, it's it's always an in before through. In before through. God says, I will do something in you before I do something through you. Did you catch that? I'll do something in you before I do something through you. What God wanted to do in him was important. Just as important as what God was going to do through him in the future. 
And what God wants to do in you is just as important as what God wants to do through you in the future. But God always starts with the in before the through. God will work in you before he works through you. In you before he works through you. So, with that in mind, let's talk about what God wanted to do in Elijah and really what God wants to do oftentimes in us. Well, for starters, God takes Elijah through a season of isolation, which even is going to involve some pain. In verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 17, he had said to the king, no more rain. Now we get to verse 2, 1 Kings 17. He says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. In this next season, Elijah is going to be very much alone. No one around to talk to. No one to help him. No one to process with. And he had no internet. I mean, I want you to think about that. No internet. You know what that means? It means no Facebook, no Instagram, no TikTok. It means no Netflix, no Hulu, no Disney Plus, no Fortnite, no Minecraft, or any other video game. He's alone, and he's isolated, and he has no devices. To which you're like, yeah, that's a lot of pain. Now, the word kareth means, kareth, he goes to the kareth ravine. Kareth means cut off or cut down. It means to be cut off from the source, to be cut off from the blessings. It means to be cut down literally like a, like a tree being cut down or chopped down. It's almost as if God is saying, I am going to take you through a season of breaking, that I am going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to do something in you that's, that's very, very deep so that later on I can do through you more than you could possibly imagine today. I'm going to take you down privately so that I can use you publicly. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian uh, author and writer, said this. He said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I know that's not a popular message today in our modern culture, but I want you to think about what he's saying. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Now you might be thinking, as, as you're already moving ahead a little bit in your mind, you're like, man, this cut off, cut down, Kareth Ravine, I'm already living there. I feel like I'm being cut down. The things I depended on, I, I can't depend on anymore. They've been cut out of my life. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I'm, I'm cut off. I'm in the Kareth Ravine. One person emailed me recently and they said this. They said, I've, been, I've just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Someone filed for unemployment using my social security number and I haven't received a single commission check since March. This is really getting me down, Chris. But you know what God is saying to us? God is saying to us, those of us who are in the Kareth Ravine, He's saying, don't give up. I'm doing something in you. I'm preparing you. I'm teaching you something that you couldn't learn any other way unless you were in the Kareth Ravine. I'm doing a work in you. You may not realize it, but I'm doing a work in you so that I can eventually work through you. Well, Elijah was there for months and months all alone. God was tearing him down. God was breaking him, cutting him down, humbling him. 
So for those of you who are in the Kareth Ravine, who are isolated, alone, in pain, and whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it may be, you feel like you've been cut down. Be encouraged. Now I know it's hard, but hear this. The more that God breaks you, the more that God breaks me, the more that God is preparing you, and the more God is preparing me, the more that God breaks you, the more that He's preparing you. So God is shaping Elijah and molding him to prepare him. And another way that God prepares us is God takes Elijah through a season of complete dependence. Complete dependence. Let's pick this up. 1 Kings chapter 17, let's pick up in verse 4. It says this. It says, You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So Elijah is there. He went there, and he's, all, he's there all by himself, and God does a miracle. First, he provides a brook, which provides uh, Elijah with water to drink from. Then, Elijah has DoorDash to order, you know, God's heavenly catering service, which included free delivery. Every morning and every evening, these birds deliver fresh meat and fresh bread to the prophet. Now, when I think about that, you know, the, the fresh meat I get, I mean, I go out, they get the meat and bring it to I, That I understand that I get. But the fresh bread, like, I'm just kind of wondering to myself, what did they do? Did they steal that from people? Did they fly up to heaven and God gave it to them? Did God just kind of set it on a rock? Or was it manna? Like when the Israelites wandered the desert? Like, I'm just kind of wondering the practical part of how did that miracle actually work out? Pretty cool. Well, what was God doing? God was letting Elijah know, Elijah, I brought you here and I will be faithful to you. You can count on me to provide for you. I will take care of you. Now maybe, just maybe, you are in a season where whatever it is that you trusted in, whether for your security or your provision or for your life, maybe that's been taken away. Maybe that's not there like it's been in the past and you don't know where to run. You don't know where to turn. I think this is a time for you and I to be reminded. God wants you to turn to Him. God wants you to lean on Him. God wants you to depend on Him. God wants you to trust in Him. Complete dependence on Him. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord. How much? How much? A little bit? Just, just occasionally? No, no, no. Trust in the Lord with what? Type it in. All your heart. Type it in. All your heart. Now, it's important to note that these birds didn't make a trip, you know, to Costco and stock Elijah up. That's not what happened here. They brought just enough for the day. And I believe that that's the message God has for some of you right now as you're listening to this or watching this. You're in a season where you're hurting or you're alone or you're afraid, but guess what? God delivers enough for the moment. You're uncomfortable. Maybe you're afraid, but God says, I will be your comfort today. You don't have much, but God says, I will be your provision for today. You feel weak, but God says, you know what? I will be your strength for today. Your friends leave you, but God says, guess what? I will never leave you. I will be your friend 
today. God says, I may not bring you more than you need, but I will bring you exactly what you need. When Jesus told us how to pray, He said this in Matthew 6, 11, when we pray to the Father, say this, say, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. God's breaking Elijah. He's cutting him down. He's humbling him. He's teaching him just you know brutal and total dependence on God. And when God has no ability, or when Elijah has no ability to provide for himself, God is teaching him, I'm going to provide for you. I will always provide for you. So totally depend on me because I will be your source. Have you discovered yet? that God will sometimes allow you to be weak so that you can find your strength in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says this, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this. Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my what? I'm going to boast, and it's going to be boasting about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Where are you weak right now? I mean, think about it for a moment. Where has maybe even God made you weak right now? For some of you, it might be financially. I mean, just your finances don't look good and you're weak. Maybe for some of you, you're single right now, but you really want to be married. And so you're just weak internally right now. Maybe for some of you, you've had something removed from you that was important for you and you're weak right now. What about some of you? Maybe there's a skill or ability that you had or wish you have, and it's not there, and so you're weak right now. Maybe some of you have a sickness or a disease, and you're incredibly weak right now. God's message to you is rejoice through it, for God is teaching you to totally depend on Him. He will be your strength. He will be your source. He will be your provision. So there's isolated pain. There's total dependence. And then finally with Elijah in this story, there's this unconditional obedience. See, God takes Elijah through a season where he gets to learn unconditional obedience. 1 Kings chapter 17, we continue on. In verse 7 it says this, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. We're going to get to the unconditional obedience, but before we get there, let's look at this verse. There, it, brook dried up, there'd been no rain in the land. And I want you to put yourself for a moment here to get to this unconditional obedience moment. Put yourself in Elijah's place. He's been out there for months in this Kareth ravine. It's been providing him daily water, but then the brook dries up. Now remember, God told him to go there. So I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute, God. You told me to go here. You provided me the water, but now it's gone. What's the deal? Have I done something wrong? God, what did I do? How did I mess up? I'm confused. I thought I was following you. I thought I was doing what you asked me to do. You see, Elijah is entering into a new chapter into a deeper level of commitment, a deeper layer of faith, a deeper, le- a deeper level of faith. See, we all love the messages of the first, last, path, last section where you know God will provide, God will meet our needs, God will do miracles, God will bless me. We love that. But God does throw us curveballs because the same water, God who can give us water 
can also take the water away. Job chapter 1, verse 21 says, the Lord, Job said, uh, said this to God. He said, the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. God wants us to praise Him on the mountaintop. And He wants us to praise Him in the valley. And He wants us to do praise Him all the same. The deeper level of, pray, of, of, of faith is praising God in all circumstances, even if it appears to us like God has flip-flopped. Here's the reality. And, and you know, some of you, you're thinking, man, my brook is drying up or has dried up. I, I, I have now in a situation where I used to be able to trust in my job, but I'm not so sure about my job anymore. I used to have a 401k, but you know, now it's a 201k, right? My brook is drying up. I had all these good friends and boom, they turned on me. And my friendship brook has dried up. I used to have a good marriage and things were wonderful and it seems like my marriage brook is drying up. I used to be really close to God and now it seems like my spiritual brook is drying up. You see, we have heard people say things like, God, provi God provides, or excuse me, God guides by what He provides. God guides by what He provides. How do you know God's moving in our life? Well, God guides us by what He provides, and He does, but you know what? God can also guide by what He does not provide. The same God who gives the water is the same God who caused the brook to dry up so that he, Elijah, would eventually have the courage to step up and to step out into total obedience. The brook dried up, and so Elijah demonstrated courageous obedience even when it didn't make sense. Now, what do I mean by that, that it didn't make sense to obey God in this situation? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8, it says this, the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Zarephath is enemy territory. I mean, this is where Jezebel is from. I mean, he told King Ahab that there's going to be no rain in the land. So Elijah is public enemy number one, and now God is telling him to not only go back, but, but continue on to go into enemy territory. Remember what your name means? My God is Yahweh, and I want you to walk into the territory that does not believe in that God. But you see, what God is looking for here is total and complete obedience towards Him. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9. God said, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And here it is, verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. Now we're going to look at this story uh, in more detail at a later time, but let me just kind of give you the cliff version, uh, uh, the cliff notes of this story this morning. Elijah obeys God. He travels some hundred miles north or so across a barren land to Zarephath, all the way into enemy territory. He comes across this widow whom God said is going to provide for him. So he says to her, excuse me, ma'am, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Uh, can you take care of me? Can you help me out? The widow's like, who are you? I mean, do you not realize we're in a drought here? I mean, I'm a widow. I've got one son. I'm getting ready to make our last meal. I got a little bit of flour left. I got a little bit of oil left. And so well, I'm going to make a, a little meal here and we're going to eat it and then we are going to die. 
That's what she tells them. I mean, that's how bad the drought was. I mean, this was an awful situation. It was pretty bad. And because of what, of what God is doing in Elijah's life, because of what he had been doing, he looks at the widow and says, you know, you're not going to die. In fact, this impossible situation, I'm going to speak faith into it. And he says that the flour that you have will not run out. The oil that you have will not run out. So, I'm hungry. Go make me some biscuits. I need some water. Well, she does that. She goes and makes the biscuits. They eat. They eat. And they eat. For days and weeks and months and months. The oil, the flour, it never runs out. God again supernaturally provided for Elijah in his unconditional obedience to God. How was Elijah able to demonstrate such courageous obedience? It's simple. Because God took him to the Kareth Ravine where he was cut down. And so Elijah went through a season of total dependence on God, having nothing but God alone. And his faith in the one true God, as a result of this, of this season, it increased. And as it was increasing, then God dried up the brook, giving Elijah the opportunity to step into complete obedience because God wanted to use him to go impact the life of another. You see, through it all, God was growing his faith. God was developing his faith. God was increasing his faith. Again, God knows what's coming with the false prophets of Baal uh, on Mount Carmel. Uh, Elijah doesn't know that yet. So God is working in him, knowing that he eventually really wants to work through him. And in this time, Elijah's faith is increasing. In a couple weeks, we are going to look at that famous story of faith and courage when Elijah does take down the 450 prophets of Baal and he asks God to send fire from heaven. At the time when he asked God, he doesn't, you and I know the story, he doesn't. So he doesn't know if God's even going to respond. So how in the world could Elijah eventually have that kind of bold faith? Simple. He went through the Kareth Ravine. It's in the Kareth Ravine of pain and isolation that we discover God and God alone is our provider. He is our miracle worker. He is our promise keeper. He is our strength and He is our hope. So once again, A.W. Tozer said it this way, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. So, what if? I mean, what if you and I could actually begin to say, I praise God even for all the pain and for all the suffering. I praise God for all the shaping that He's doing in me. I even praise God even in the midst of the hurt, the isolation, the brokenness. I praise God for the supernatural provision. I praise God for the careth ravine in my life because through that, my faith has grown. My faith has increased. My faith is strengthened. My obedience to God has grown even to the point of unconditional obedience. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
I am your servant. Yes, Lord, whatever you say. And I praise God for all the ways that he's going to use me to bring glory to himself. Ultimately, that you and I to be, will, would be willing to say and able to praise and say, I praise God for what he is doing in me because I know what he wants to do through me. God always starts by working in us before he ever works through us. I suspect God's working in you today. Just remember, that means he wants to work through you in the future. So you can praise God for your careth ravine. Let's pray. God, I God, I pray for those who are in a ravine right now. God, for those who are hurting, who are in pain. God, for those who are isolated. God, for those who feel like they've been cut off or, God, even cut down. God, I pray that you would help. God, help them. Help them to recognize and to realize as you're humbling them, as you're even breaking them, God, help them realize that you're actually shaping them. That you're developing their faith. That you're growing them. You're causing them, Lord, to depend more on you. Help them to see that, God. And God, would you help us to trust you completely? To totally depend on you? God, we praise you. We praise you for the mountaintops. God, we praise you for the valleys. We praise you for all of it. And we'll praise you the same no matter whether we're flying high or God, whether we're suffering low. We'll praise you through all of it. So God, keep working in us. Because we know eventually, God, you want to work through us. And so we say, God, yes, yes, yes. Shape us, mold us into the image of your Son and use us for your glory. God, we trust in you. We praise you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.